My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Terry McDowell. Grassroots movements exist because of countless hours of unglamorous, often thankless work by many, many people whose names history will not remember. Our efforts together can accomplish far more than if we were to act individually, and often it is just showing up and doing whatever's needed that's the most important way to contribute to the kinds of struggles that can lead to a better world. And yet, all of us also bring ourselves to movements including our specific profile of interests, desires, capacities, and skills. That tray of delicious baking for the teach-in, the excellent facilitation that made last night's meeting smooth and effective, the eye-catching poster for the upcoming demo, are all examples of how people's specific gifts make our movements what they are. In the midst of struggle, we often don't take time to appreciate and honor such things. And there's often no opportunity to step back and reflect on how we can best make people's specific passions and capacities part of our collective efforts, and how best to nurture and support them. That can mean a lot of different things, depending on the context. But in recent years, a collective of radical artists and graphic designers in Winnipeg has been experimenting with one particular approach to bringing their skill sets to a wide range of grassroots contexts in the city. The group started out as, of all things, a Twitter feed. The account belonged to a graphic designer with radical politics who was using it as a way to vent their political frustrations, including political frustrations that intersected with design. Winnipeg's a relatively small community, and other designers with similar politics and similar complaints gravitated to this account and formed a sort of informal online community around it. And eventually, some of them decided to turn it into a group. McDowell was one of the people involved in forming the group under the banner of Spark Poster in 2017. They started out by reaching out to activist and non-profit groups in Winnipeg and offering their design skills. As McDowell put it, quote, everybody needs help in activism. That's kind of the name of the game. Everybody pitches in how they can, end quote. They've helped groups out by making leaflets, posters, signs, logos, memes, educational material, t-shirts, websites, anything where design, where the visuality of the thing, is an important part of making it effective. And at least before the pandemic, they also sometimes held workshops to help groups build their own skills in some of these areas. The Collective is a closed group of 14 people. In the mix, they have people with skills in all different kinds of visual media, from paint to printmaking, drawing to design, and they've just brought in a couple of people with animation backgrounds. They've worked with the campaign fighting to raise the minimum wage in Manitoba, tenant groups, left electoral campaigns, climate justice organizations, prison abolitionists, anti-austerity activists, grassroots media makers, and lots more. McDowell says that the members of the collective identify with a range of different left political tendencies, though broadly speaking he says the group is anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, and anti-fascist. He says, though, that in terms of the ways in which the group's work can be thought of as having a political impact, one label that might make sense is Gramscian. 
That's a reference to Italian political theorist Antonio Gramsci, who wrote in the first half of the 20th century. Among many other things, Gramsci talked about the importance of struggle at the cultural level for bringing about fundamental change. It was actually with an eye to that kind of struggle that the collective recently rethought their work a little bit and rebranded. They realized that along with supporting grassroots groups in Winnipeg, they also wanted to release work under their own name as a way to intervene politically and culturally. Agitprop, if you will. As part of that shift, they changed their name to Strike Poster. That side of things is still just getting started, and so far mostly it has just been behind-the-scenes work, though they have been releasing critical graphical responses to the Manitoba government's handling of their worsening COVID crisis. But they have big plans for the future. I speak with McDowell about the intersection of politics and design, and about the work of Strike Poster. And just a heads up, there are a couple of points in the interview where you might hear faint sounds of a sad and angry toddler in the background. Don't worry, it doesn't last long. My name is Terry McDowell, and I've been a graphic designer in Winnipeg for about the last 10 years. And the collective that I'm part of is called Strike Poster. In its current stage, or in its current form as Strike Poster is very new, the group started as a collective called Spark Poster a few years ago, I think around 2017 or so. It was a collective born out of a Twitter account that the founding member was running to basically vent on the intersections of politics and design, which that kind of analysis seems to be like critically lacking, especially in the discipline of design. And it just kind of grew from there as a collective of designers with very common interests, we'll say, politically and ethically, and especially in regards to design. And it's grown from there to a 14-member collective. Most come from a graphic design background, but within that, I mean, there's so many different avenues that pe people take with that pursuit. There's animators, there's people who are printmakers as well, and designers and artists. Yeah, I would just categorize it as very multidisciplinary. That collective does a lot of work for activist groups and nonprofits as a support group to, say, like protest movements, making signs of t-shirts and buttons, stickers, etc., me personally, I came from a very comfortable upbringing. I wouldn't say I was wealthy by any means. You know, like I grew up in the north end of Winnipeg here, but in a solid kind of working class, middle class family and really didn't ever had to consider politics in a material way until much later through university. I was graduating around the time of the 2008 crash when a lot of really material financial hardships came down on a lot of people, and it was very visible in media. And it was just from there and into, I would say, the years between 2010 and 2015 was when I was really kind of waking up politically. And then with the kind of chaotic political atmosphere that we've had for the last four or five years has really been kind of the major wake-up call to me. So, like, I, I realize that I come at this from a very, like, seeming naive and privileged position, but that's been my trajectory in waking up to, like, grassroots movements. For me, it was in the last few years of working with Spark Poster and working directly with activist groups really hardened me to this new position and new trajectory that I hope to like pursue as my main career focus going forward. This solidarity and comradeship, you know, but when, when you're working and organizing together in a room and meeting weekly, it's really energizing. I mean, unfortunately, with, with the COVID pandemic and lockdowns and not being able to meet in real life, it presents a lot of new challenges, but the work continues regardless, I suppose. 
So how exactly did that work, the transition from that individual's Twitter feed to the group of you working together? The Twitter account, now it says, at Strike Poster. And I think we're upwards of around 2,000 followers or something now. But the Spark Poster account was kind of organically just attracted like-minded people. Not many people in Winnipeg were talking about politics and design and how they relate and intersect. And it just attracted, you know, the right kind of people. Winnipeg is a small community, so we kind of know each other at least secondhand or whatever. So it attracted like-minded people. And at one point, we just decided we needed to actually start producing things rather than just using it as like a social connection online on Twitter. And we started reaching out to other activist groups, seeing if they needed any help. And of course, everybody needs help in activism. That's kind of the name of the game. Everybody pitches in how they can. And it just kind of organically grew from a Twitter account, you know, like I was friends with the founder and met like-minded people just through having conversations online. And it just kind of took off like that. What were some of the early projects that the collective took on in terms of supporting other grassroots groups in the city? Some notable ones would be Fight for 15 Manitoba, organizing with you know low-wage workers in the city, fighting for a $15 minimum wage. So we helped with a lot of material or fundraisers and sign-making for May Day marches. There were tenants organizations. West Broadway Tenants Committee is another one, designing a bunch of leaflets and just material that can be passed out to tenants to make them aware of their rights. There was just last year, a group sprouted up kind of organically to protest the city budget process called Budget for All, and we were heavily involved in all of the materials for that. One of the members had also produced flyers and posters for Leah Gazan, the MP for Winnipeg Centre here in Winnipeg, who threw a great grassroots campaign, defeated the incumbent Robert Paulson Roulette, And yeah, there's a lot of small grassroots groups in Winnipeg. And just thinking about this list, it's inspiring to think about how many people are taking these causes up and just starting groups and pushing back. It's kind of shocking now that you just like see this list and see how many people that we've worked with. Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Alberta Abolition Coalition, the Manitoba Energy Justice Coalition, the podcast, the Alberta Advantage we've worked with. There was Justice for Asia Hudson, Community Not Cut. There's a ton of groups that we've worked with in the city. Walk me through the process of it. Do groups approach you or vice versa? Is the design work itself something you do collectively or does an individual take it on? How does it all work? It's a little bit of both. We definitely approach people. We'll see somebody starting up some kind of group, you know, a fledgling group online, and we can tell that they're fresh and they're new and they might need a little bit of assistance with maybe their online profile or just like announcing things. We'll approach some groups and we've now kind of built a little bit of a reputation, especially within the activist groups. So we do get approached by just word of mouth or friends of friends kind of thing. And then in terms of the production side, it's really non-hierarchical. If somebody's available and interested, they can take the project on. And sometimes it's collaborative and sometimes just, you know, due to the nature of a lot of design work has to be turned around very quickly. So it might just be somebody takes it on and gets it done when they can. There's a little bit of not oversight, but just, you know, collaboration just to make sure that the message is on point. So yeah, very non-hierarchical and very multidisciplinary too. There's a range of different skills that we can offer. So some projects might just be tailored to one member and not another. We recently actually just brought on some people that work with animation. 
He said that one of the things that initially brought group members together around the original Twitter account was a chance to engage with issues where politics and design intersect. What kinds of things does that encompass? I guess one thing that I think relates to this question is I think a lot of time design is perceived as a very financially rewarding profession, but in many cases it's really not, and a lot of designers are really just like working class. I see. So, like, struggles designers face directly as workers. Yeah. How else do design and politics intersect? Where politics and design intersect, I think it's helpful to think of design even more broadly as, like, communication and politics. Say, for instance, an example of this would be, like, the act of, like, greenwashing or art washing. Are you familiar with that term? I am, but maybe explain it to listeners. Yeah, so I guess that would be one very obvious intersection of politics and design is this idea that, you know, gentrifying a neighborhood, a lot of the time this neighborhood might be sold as derelict and it needs to be saved. And a lot of times developers or building owners will contract designers to say, create an art installation on the lobby or something similar to that. And, you know, like it's not that necessarily it's always a bad thing, but just generally it helps to justify and promote gentrification this art comes in or design helps to transform a neighborhood into something that it wasn't purely for marketing purposes to sell units or make it more attractive for other businesses to come in and further gentrify the neighborhood. So that would be like one really kind of visceral intersection where design is literally being used as a tool to transform neighborhoods. And granted, it took me a while to come to these kind of analyses. My design education was pretty devoid of political analysis, which it might have been partly my fault, but I look back and I don't think that a lot of political analysis was offered to me in my design education. So people came together through critical conversation about how and where design gets used? Yeah, and even just using design it's not only a vehicle for the critique of like the intersection of politics and design, but also using our skills as designers to just critique politics. And uh, I guess that kind of would be a good segue into the reason why Strike Poster is now Strike Poster and not Spark Poster, which is using our skills to be more proactive in creating agitprop or propaganda, and rather than just merely assisting or lending support to other groups. There's a long history, right, of design as a political tool for protest or for leaflet distribution, et cetera. And we've decidedly taken a more aggressive and I guess proactive approach to the collective, like producing our own content. And it might be, you know, reacting to say daily press conferences. I don't know if your province has been doing this, but Manitoba Daily has a news conference with our top health official and or the premier. Basically, just political spin on YouTube every noon hour has really sparked this, not even just strike poster members, but it's really uh, sparked a reactive art movement, I'd say, in Winnipeg, where a lot of people are creating memes and creating art in response to officials going up and spinning the truth lying to us pretty much every day. <laughs> so yeah, it, it really is us wanting to take a more proactive stance in creating our own content. We just relaunched as Strike Poster. And so the work that we've created so far has just really been some announcements 
We haven't done much in its current form. A lot of the stuff that we've been working on right now is just direct response to our provincial handling of the pandemic in Manitoba. I don't know if you're familiar, but we've got the worst case counts in Canada, and we're not very far off some of the worst states in the U.S., and it's largely a function of a terrible response by our government, especially through the summer. We've decided to try to push a economic reopening way too early, and we're paying for it now. And so a lot of the work, it is the topic du jour, and it's basically like the existence for all of us. So like we're just seeped in it, right? And basically, that's been the focus is just trying to go after the provincial government. We're not fooling ourselves in thinking that we can change the world by creating memes or posters, etc. But rather that over time, I know I have a lot of friends that see stuff that they wouldn't see if people like the Strike Poster Collective or these other people that are just starting to make art and memes, they wouldn't see it if we weren't doing it. So we're trying to kind of seep into the popular culture a little bit more. Do you find that there's a popular appetite for those sorts of artistic takes on the issues of the day? There is. Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, it's hard to say sometimes like how far of a reach that we have, because I know social media is a series of overlapping bubbles. So how much we overlap into other groups. I'm not really like a heavy on the data kind of person, but I would say that there's definitely an appetite for it. And even just in the fact that so many people that I've known and been familiar with on, say, Manitoba political Twitter that never used to make art or cartoons or memes. I guess it's probably also a byproduct of being stuck at home and, you know, people finding new ways to express themselves, right? Because you can't go anywhere. Like protests still happen and rallies still happen, but they're probably not in the best interest of public health right now. So people are lashing out from their computers, from their phones. So I'd say there is an appetite for it. How much of a dent or difference it's making, I'm not sure. But I guess time will tell in that respect. For yourself or maybe for the other members of the collective, do you find that employing your skills with movements and creating the more kind of proactive agitprop we've just been talking about, does that make you approach the design side of things differently? Does it mean that you think about the art part of it differently than you would when you're doing it in more, you know, conventional, professional contexts? For me personally, it's kind of a tricky question because it is and it isn't. In my professional work and in my more activist work, I tend to be much more like concept driven. So not all my work looks the same. Every project I approach with kind of a blank slate. Obviously, people do tend to trend towards certain aesthetics, et cetera. But I would say that there's definitely a different approach in just that you have to know who you're communicating to, right? So it is true, I guess. I would say that we would approach it more from a anti-capitalist frame of mind, I would say. So naturally, I think things are going to look different. That being said, there are certain projects where things can look, you know, like they belong in the corporate world, but they're done so intentionally to, you know, speak to a certain audience, right? So for instance, one of our members recently did work for Police Free Schools Winnipeg, which is a group that's working to try to get school resource officers out of schools in Winnipeg. Uh, People interested in learning more about Police Free Schools Winnipeg can search on soundcloud.com or talkingradical.ca for the episode of Talking Radical Radio from November 2020 called Fighting to Get Police Out of Winnipeg Schools. And the client 
the collaborator, they wanted to make sure that whatever we produced wasn't too radical looking because they, they had a lot of members or people that they had to try to convince that wouldn't be persuaded by, say, a militant look or say like an aesthetic that might be more appropriate to an abolitionist movement. So it took on a very clean and scholarly, but also friendly look. So even though the message is radical that we want cops out of schools, it was packaged in a really digestible and yeah, it was designed to be approachable, essentially. You mentioned earlier the long history of design playing a role in social movements. Are there any particular historical examples or past radical designers that you're particularly inspired or influenced by in the work that you do? Personally, the Russian constructivists are a big influence on me. Grappus, a French communist graphic design studio from the 60s, born out of the student worker Paris uprisings. There's a designer that I actually just discovered that I'm like super excited about. His name is Paul Peter Peach. Peach. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but essentially he's an activist designer. He made his bones in the corporate advertising world and was quite successful and, and then left to pursue protest art and basically personal pursuits that were much more political. Yeah, so those are a few. Emery Douglas, the designer for the Black Panthers. And just, I would say, I guess, in terms of like aesthetic influences, a lot of our work will draw from like vintage comic books and album covers and pulp and counterculture magazines. So that kind of like rougher, grittier aesthetic is a big influence as well. This has already come out in lots of different ways, but how would you characterize the politics of the Strike Poster Collective? I'd say that we're multi-tendency. I'd say, you know, first and foremost, we're anti-capitalists, we're anti-imperialists, and we're anti-fascists. There's some members that would label themselves as different tendencies. So we're talking to another member, and we both agreed that we would probably say that if we needed to have a label for our collective, that Gramscian would be kind of a fitting label, because we're trying to push leftist ideas into the popular culture to try to affect things slowly by just being present and eating into conversation. But mostly, I would just broadly categorize those as anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, and anti-fascist. This has come out as well in things that you've already said, but draw it together for listeners. What do you think art and design work bring to movements or add to movements? And in turn, what do you think that this engagement with grassroots politics brings to art and design work? That's a good question. I think really art and design brings a clarity maybe of message. I guess at its essence, that's really what we want to do. I found in working within activism that I prefer that role in kind of synthesizing a group's message and helping to hone the message and really communicating that message to a desired audience or just broadly to the public in terms of you know, a protest or a rally. So I think it's really just the synthesizing vehicle for politics and activism. And I think in a similar way, for me personally, I know that becoming more politically awakened and ideologically awakened, that it really has helped provide a purpose to my art. Like not my professional work, but my personal work. I actually, this year, just in being locked down, I would say that being surrounded by crisis and 
having nowhere else to go, I, I really have turned to art and design to express myself, even if a lot of it will never be shown to anybody. It's really just for me, it provides me a purpose and really drives conceptual work for me. Yeah, I would say that I think even just coming to that realization over the past few years in that connection of art and design, that when I look back to say old favorite pieces of art and design, and I probably can't name any off the top of my head, but that I see a lot of political analysis and critique in things that I never saw before, but was always there. So particularly given that you've recently rebranded and changed the collective's focus a bit, what's coming up for Strike Poster in the next while? Right now, we are just really trying to build out the plan for that content creation. I mean, we did have other plans pre-COVID. We have run they're really fun. Like we, we like to run art builds and art workshops. We've held button making and sign making workshops. We try to time them or tie them into, say, like a protest or a rally that we know is coming up. So we're made a, we've signed basically like sign making workshops where we'll provide materials and we'll basically provide instruction and guidance to allow people to come in and make their own posters or signboards that they might hold up at a rally or if a group needs some help making buttons. In the past, we've rented out. There's a really great room at our Winnipeg Library downtown. It's basically like a, a maker room, and we've booked that out and had in-person workshops where we make buttons and patches and t-shirts. But obviously, like we can't do that kind of in-person stuff anymore for the time being. So that kind of stuff is kind of on hold. We've also held some... Uh, there was a really fun screening of the movie No from, I think it's early 2000s, but it's about the referendum in Chile in the 80s, I believe, when they basically had a referendum on Pinochet. General Augusto Pinochet took power in Chile in a U.S.-backed military coup against democratically elected socialist president Salvador Allende in 1973 and ruled as dictator of Chile until 1990. And we held this educational screening and we had hoped to do more movie screenings and documentary screenings. We're looking at how to maybe have some virtual screenings, so that should be a way that we can continue that. Other than that, we're still currently working with quite a few clients or collaborators that are doing some ongoing work through organizing in Winnipeg. Outside of that, people are really kind of in a planning and building out content phase. You have been listening to my interview with Terry McDowell. He's a radical graphic designer in Winnipeg, and we spoke about a radical design collective of which he is a part, founded in 2017 as Spark Poster, and recently renamed Strike Poster. They offer their design skills to a wide range of grassroots groups in Winnipeg, and more recently have begun to release work as direct political interventions under the Strike Poster name. To learn more about their work, search for Strike Poster on Twitter or Instagram. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Oh,